Better? Much better. Okay. All I said was I want to look at you. (laughs) No, I've not been to this new building, and I love this new building, because just in pulling up, just just to tell you, you know, from a first-time visitor sort of experience, just pulling up, the place screams, we love kids. Kids are welcome here. In fact, you even put your drummer in this coolest place on the platform. It reminds me of, you know, the little forts that you make out of furniture when you're a kid and you pull blankets over the top. And I got to sit in there before we, before I leave here. But no, it's just, just this kid-friendly, I mean, it's just a, it's a wonderful uh, place to be and uh, just the the sense of uh, community and family that, that we've already tasted here. I don't know. It's just good to be with you. Um, uh, Christ Redeemer uh, uh, began about five years ago as a, a church plant uh, coming out of Bethlehem with, with Brett and Thomas and their families and others leading. And uh, it's just been actually very encouraging to hear the stories of, uh, of grace that as you press into discipleship and as you press into outreach here in the near neighborhoods as well as around the world. Uh, You have been an encouragement to the churches of the network in Bethlehem. And uh, actually, it's that reality that that frames up why I thought to preach from Acts 14. Uh, You've met my wife. She's uh, there in the second row. Uh, Any other preliminaries? Um, I don't think so. It's just, it's interesting that that, uh, Brett and Thomas are arriving at about one o'clock, and if they're early, Molly said she'll scream and run out. And so if she screams, it's because the plane landed, and she's got to pick them up. All right, just join me in reading Acts 14, verses 19 through 28. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But the disciples gathered about him, and he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went out, or excuse me, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adaliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little little time with the disciples there. Father in heaven, I pray for your help for me and for us as we look into this passage from your word. I pray for a a grace of encouragement, of strengthening for, 
for Christ's Redeemer in the great work of disciple-making, the great work of planting churches. So may we uh, be helped here and encouraged, and may you stand forth as our great God and our Savior, who is, who is our all in all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, my aim, as I prayed, is to encourage you in the disciple-making work. And, and uh, if I were to pick three words that would form uh, an outline of sorts, it would be, number one, uh, I want you to see disciple-making strategy. I want you to see disciple-making uh, trouble or, or tribulations. That would be the second word. And I want you to see disciple-making grace in this passage. And uh, it, just to give you a sense of the context, this is the, this is the account of the end of Paul's first missionary journey. It began back in chapter 13, where uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church of Antioch, and they went on their mission, and they went to various towns. First they went to Cyprus and Pisidia, and then now in Acts 14, the journey is ending, and it's there that we see this wonderful account of, of the strategy, the troubles, and undeniable grace or power of, of uh, disciple-making. So I want you to see that. I'm going to walk through one at a time. How about strategy? We'll take strategy first. Uh, note Paul's strategy, and, and I could sum it up into three aspects here from this passage. It would be, uh, first, evangelizing or gospeling. Second, strengthening. And third, appointing leaders or appointing elders. It's a simple strategy. In fact, you are a result of this strategy. Bethlehem is a result of this strategy. Uh, Brett and Thomas are doing this strategy in India right now. I mean, this is just basic New Testament Christianity. Uh, So what's the strategy? Evangelizing the city. If you have your Bibles open, you can see that in uh, the beginning of the chapter, in verse 1, it says that, Now at Iconium, they, Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Drop down to verse 3, chapter 14, same chapter. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Drop down to verse 6. there uh, they fled to Lystra and Derby, the cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding countries and there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 21 from our text. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, which was Derby, they had made many disciples. Uh, they, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium. Here's the point. That Paul and Barnabas set out on this, this church planting, disciple making journey and it is no less than speaking the word of God, speaking the gospel to people. And it is not, should not just be thought of as like preaching from pulpits like this. Uh, e- even from the context that, that they, they're, they're out on the street corners and they're, they're discipling people in small groups and they're laying hands on people and the, the word of the Lord is being, being proclaimed there. Uh, Tim Keller has a wonderful note about this this word that's used uh, in, in Acts 14, 21, where it says that Paul and Barnabas preached the good news. It's not, it's not the typical word for heralding or preaching. It's instead a word more like gospeling. 
they gospeled the city. They gospeled the city. I'll read the quote from Tim Keller. He says, uh, the word used in Acts 14, 21 states that Paul and Barnabas preached the good news, but it does not use the common word for preaching. Instead, a more comprehensive word is used. They evangelizoed, that's the Greek word for, for gospel. They, they gospeled the city. The, the Greek word connotes a, a great deal more than simply preaching sermons. The book of Acts describes Paul in the act of spreading the gospel through preaching in the synagogue, sharing in small group Bible studies, speaking out in marketplaces, leading discussions with difficult people in rented halls, and simply talking with people one-on-one. And so, so uh, it's, it's not lost on me in, in Acts 14.3 that this work of gospeling the city is supported by the the power of God really bleeds into my third point when it says, it's the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done. So first strategy, gospeling the city. And I know you're doing that, and I know you're leaning into that, and I just want to encourage you in that. I mean, from what I hear from Brett, uh, you are wrestling hard with how do we make disciples? How do we evangelize? How do we speak the gospel to, to one another? How do we speak the gospel to our neighbors and our friends? And How do we do this as a people? How do we do this together? And I just want to just kind of amen that, stamp that, and say, you know, stamp that with, hey, that's just basic New Testament strategy that you're wrestling with and we all need to wrestle with and press in. So, so, so that's the first one. Evangelizing the city or gospeling the city is strategy number one. Strengthening the believers is strategy number two because can you, can you imagine, in fact, you probably have seen this, that, that uh, an evangelistic work will come to town or, or, or set out from a church but then no follow-up, no, no gathering the people. But here you see in, in Acts 21, the second half, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There's Paul's concern and care for the churches where he's visited already. He comes back through strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and, uh, and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I mean, that would be a sermon in itself, wouldn't it? Um, how do we strengthen the souls of other believers? We bring the word to them. We speak into their lives. We get to know them. We, we live life on life. We, we're there in the, in the troubles and the ups and downs of life. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. I met with... Uh, met for prayer with a couple in their 30s on Thursday and he just found out he has cancer and his wife's prayer concern was my concern is that I might lose my faith. Just having that concern makes me think God's keeping you. He'll keep you and uh, encouraging them continue in the faith. God is faithful. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Third point, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I'll say more about that when I look at disciple-making troubles. But Paul just has that as part of his basic package. Become a new believer. Oh, by the way, 
There'll be trouble. It'll be hard. Maybe in America, it's not as physically hard as it is elsewhere, but, but people will think you're narrow-minded and bigoted and, and um, uh, intolerant and, and, uh, and, and, and. We have our own form of, of persecution. And what's really funny, not funny, funny, ironic funny, is that subtle kind of persecution can shut us down when, when you look overseas, and, and I'll read a story toward the end of how physical, terrible persecution doesn't shut believers down. And you think, oh, Lord, help us. Help us. But it's just part of Paul's basic stock package of, of strengthening believers to remind them that through many troubles, tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then the third strategy there is... Uh, verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Just basic Pauline disciple-making, church-planting strategy. Uh, gospel, strengthen the believers, and, and in that strengthening of believers, be working on leadership development to the point that you appoint some as elders to oversee the church and see to it that that work goes on for generation and generation and generation and generations and generations yet to come. I mean, that, that's what brings us to the year 2000 and whatever this is. You know, it's, it's that little simple strategy of, of God, uh, by the grace of Christ, in the commission of Christ, raising up disciple makers uh, who make disciples and appoint leaders and plant churches and, uh, and send, out, send out leaders to disciple and, and plant more churches. So it's a, it's a beautiful, simple strategy. And I just want to amen it and uh, commend it and encourage you that I see that you are in it. And even, even the fact that, like I said, Brett and Thomas are gone this weekend is uh, a commending that you are on this strategy. So amen and keep at it. And the second section of my sermon is just to note this, that the troubles or the tribulations of disciple-making the troubles or tribulations of, of uh, church planting. And I want to note two, and one actually comes from the first half of the chapter that I didn't read, but in the second from our text. The, the first threat to planting and the first, first threat to disciple making that I see, I wouldn't have seen a few years ago. Um, maybe it's... Um, I don't know, 27 years of pastoral ministry that caused me to see this one more clearly than I might have before. But um, it's, in, uh, it's in verse 11 of chapter 14 where we see, uh, here's how it reads. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, he had commanded a lame man to stand upright. And be healed. When, when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. You see what's happening? I mean, God works and the people exalt Paul and Barnabas. This is trouble. This is a form of trouble. I mean, think about it. Uh, I think I'm no different from you. I love to be loved. I love to be made much of. Uh, it feeds my 
pride. And uh, that love can turn sour so fast that it becomes a threat to the gospel. Because the gospel's not about the exaltation of me, but the exaltation of Christ. And this is, this is very important. Um, can derail our exaltation of God when, when and th- I mean, this doesn't happen just with pastors. It does happen with pastors. It happens with all leaders. In, I mean, at whatever forms uh, uh, your ministry takes, um, I'll, I'll say it for myself. You know, when, when thus saith Kenny trumps thus saith the Lord, I mean, it happens. When accountability slips away from me because the people around me think I don't need it. When I become approachable, or excuse me, when I become unapproachable and dismissive of concerns that come my way, I'm above that and you let me get away with it. When I lead by self-pity, you know, this is the nobody knows the troubles I've seen song that, that some leaders can do and milk and gather a people around them that feel so sorry for them and they try to help them and they love them and, and that goes ugly so fast that the leader, it's a form of self-exaltation. This is how I talk to the church planters in the network, by the way. <laughs> I want to scare them <laughs> away from bad leadership. Um, they have heard me lecture on self-pity and leaders so many times it's not funny. Um, when our people need me and my words to feel close to God, rather than needing God and his words, I, I've seen this. I, I heard a, a preacher speak and, uh, I mean, in the, in the moment, it felt so much. I could feel the love of God. I could feel the grace of God and taste the love of God. And, and it seemed so real and so close. And the meeting ended. And after the meeting, I realized I was in conversation with someone else. Like, Where did that come from? There, there was no text. There was no hook. There was no... You can pour this grace on yourself by going to the Bible and looking this up and reminding yourself of what it says. But rather, the way it worked was you have to come back and hear him pour it on you again. So, I take that as one of the troubles of disciple making. Gathering a people around ourselves. In whatever leadership role, whatever role you have in making disciples, gathering a, a core around yourself, gathering people who think highly of you. And Paul, he, he doesn't waste any time here. Verse 14 in Acts 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? Why are you worshiping us? We also are men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things like exalting us to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. I love that. Uh, God is God. I am not. 
We exalt Christ, not, not me, not the teachers, not the leaders. And it may be that there are more ministries and more churches destroyed in the U.S. from that kind of trouble than from outright persecution. So, let us fight the fight of faith with each other and for each other in the exaltation of Christ, in the humble approachability that we carry with each other as those who lead other people, even as parents. Uh, Please tell me, was I on the line there? Did I sin? And have the courage and love to say to one another, this is hard for me to say, but you, you sin to that person. You sinned against that person. And I need to tell you this. In all humility, I want you to hear this. Maybe think about it before you respond. I mean, there, there are ways that, that uh, we can combat this bent in the human heart for self-exaltation. So that's one of the troubles. The other trouble is the threat of outright persecution, threat of, of being hated, and it's here in this passage as well. All along Paul's first missionary journey, which is like all his missionary journeys, Paul was hated. He was hated. In fact, it's like the opposition snowballs as he goes from town to town as people from the first town go to the second town to persecute him, and then people from the first and second towns go to the third town to persecute. It just kind of gets worse. Um, You can see it there. In verse uh, 19, Luke tells us that it was at Lystra that representatives of the two other towns that Paul had been to came and stoned Paul for preaching about Jesus. Verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. You know... This, uh, this behavior of the Apostle Paul uh, in his persecutions and getting up and staying on the mission over and over again is illustrative of... It, it's really a picture of the gospel. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how you think about opposition and trouble, but it's, it's really a picture of the gospel that as... You know, even really just think the exaltation as well as the trouble is a picture of the gospel. Palm Sunday is next week. Jesus is exalted and, and he's welcome to town and people think he's going to be a military leader and he comes on a donkey. And he's not that kind of a leader. He's not that kind of a savior. He's not that kind of a king. But uh, rather he's the kind of a king who comes and makes claims that gets him killed a week later and suffers and dies. This is... This is illustrative of the gospel, Paul's behavior here. That's why Jesus said, if they persecuted me, this is promise language. They will persecute you. And uh, Paul writes in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. What a wonderful thing that is. But also to suffer. And, and be this aroma of Christ as people would malign us or 
belittle us or outright persecute us physically for the sake of the name. We will be an aroma of Christ. We'll be like him. I, I want to read a story. Uh, you know, I don't know if you... I don't know. I mean, I'll just tell you how I think about the stories from overseas, the stories from Voice of the Martyrs. They're, they're very helpful for me uh, to be in touch with the global church and what's going on in particular with how the, the global church is rising up in faith in the face of suffering and opposition. So I have a, I have a Voice of the Martyrs story. You know, Voice of the Martyrs, the organization that publishes these stories. I want to read it for you. Um, a pastor, Fritz Manaprim, say it right now, Manaprim uh, had been ministering in, in Indonesia for about 10 years when he and his wife were attacked by radical Muslims. Now I'm quoting from the article. The small mob surrounded his church with rocks in each hand, clapping the stones together furiously. They were like madmen, carrying out a holy pilgrimage of terror. A policeman implored Fritz, Pastor, please hold no service here today. This is what the Muslim leaders want, and they have become mad. Not desiring to stir any additional trouble, Fritz assured the police officer that he would turn away the congregation. He also tried to reason with them, um, the man who was leading the mob. As members of the congregation arrived for service, Fritz shouted at them to leave. But before the church members could respond, the mob erupted, their stones flying as the Muslims attacked the church, which is also Fritz's home, as, as they chanted Allah Akbar. The police tried to stop the mob, but with little success, the mob dragged Fritz's wife outside, beating and kicking her. If the security officers hadn't stopped them, Fritz and his wife would have been killed. The officers took the pastor and his wife to the military office for their safety. Fritz filed a report, but no arrests were made. No one would have blamed Fritz and his wife if they had fled and if they had ceased church services altogether, but they didn't. Despite their home being ransacked and the threat of imminent persecution, they remained in the area to minister the gospel to their brothers and sisters. I mean, grace is, is, is uh, unmistakable in the New Testament and in the stories of the perseverance of the early church. The account goes on. Two weeks later, the couple was warned by police that another, even larger, angry mob was gathering for another attack. That evening, the mob arrived. Again, they surrounded the church and began to throw stones, yelling, attack, attack. But this time, the police did not show up to protect Fritz's family. It didn't take long for the mob to enter the church, ransacking everything in sight. They cut off the electricity, leaving the rooms in darkness. Before Fritz and his wife could escape, a club came across the back of his wife's head, and Fritz was clubbed until his face was drenched in blood. I'm actually glad the children have been dismissed. 
as they tied Fritz with steel wire and continued to beat him, Fritz cried out, Lord Jesus, help. One of the attackers forced his burning cigarette into Fritz's mouth, laughing and jeering. And he told Fritz, eat your Jesus. A hood was placed over the pastor's head and he was taken outside and stripped bare. Attackers beat him and burned him with cigarettes and rolled him through the broken glass from the church window. Others continued to ransack their home and church. The chants of the attackers echoed in his ears, Allah Akbar. Finally, Fritz fell unconscious. A final blow to his jaw was more than he could bear. And when he awoke, he found himself lying on a pile of wood from the church ruins with his attackers throwing shattered furniture on top of him and he was soon choking from smoke as flames emerged from around him and Fritz prayed what he thought would be his final prayer before meeting the Lord Jesus face to face Lord Jesus I give my soul and spirit to you Fritz doesn't remember how it happened but he suddenly found himself being lifted from the blaze like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego God had spared him from the flames. After Fritz escaped the fire, he was tied to a pole and stoned and left for dead. His jaw had been smashed. Nerves in his eyes had been irreparably damaged and he suffered a concussion. Fritz and his wife are now staying with friends at the time this article was written. Less than two miles from where their church and home were destroyed and not surprisingly, he continues to pastor the flock. My goodness. Oh, the, the troubles, the tribulations of disciple-making and church planting, of the extremes. Being worshipped as gods and being killed like Jesus. That brings me to my third point. And I want you to see that the power of disciple making, the power of church planting is God's grace. It's grace. It's God. God acting. You can see it in our text. We've seen it already. I'll point it out again. Verse 26 Just this note that that Paul and Barnabas had come from Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. See the past tense in that? So in this missionary journey, they were set out, commended to the grace of God, dependent on the grace of God, and God did it. God gave grace to make disciples. God gave grace to deflect uh, exaltation and adoration. God gave grace in the, in the persecutions and the troubles. And then, verse 27, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, Paul and Barnabas declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Disciple-making does not happen apart from God opening the door of faith here to the Gentiles. And so in it all and through it all, 
that the power of disciple making, the power of church planning is God. It's the grace of God commissioning us, appointing us. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth when my spirit comes on you and enables you to do it. Or take the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, how do we do that? Well, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'll be with you always. In the ups and in the downs. I will build my church, Jesus says. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, just, I just want to underscore. In, as we lean into the strategies of disciple making and church planting. And as we deflect the, the troubles. As we live with the troubles of praise and, um, and, and uh, persecution. In it all and through it all, let us cling to the grace of God. Let us be utterly dependent on God. And therein he gets, the, he gets the praise. He's the one at work. He opens the doors of faith. He builds his church. It's not us. It's just not us. So let me, let me close with a, uh, one of my Favorite encouraging verses, Isaiah 41.10, and hear it from the Lord. This is a new covenant promise that's ours by, by the grace of Christ. So, Christ Redeemer, in the work of disciple making, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in all your troubles... May the aroma of Christ come from your life as you, as you persevere in faith, as you cling to me and continue to proclaim my grace, my faithfulness, my Christ who has died for you and given you an inheritance that no one can take away from you. So may it be so for the glory of God here in Woodbury. May it be so for, the, for your joy as Christ's Redeemer, this wonderful worshiping family that you are. And may it be so for, for each one of us in the, in the great work. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and how it, it frames our lives and guides us and aligns our priorities. And, and we so love you. Thank you so much for Christ's death for us by which we are saved and by which we are called into the kingdom. We are your people and you are our God. And, and I pray for a particular disciple-making grace for Christ's Redeemer and her leaders. Pray that you continue to advance your kingdom through them. And, and I do pray that in that, that work, that, that that work would be done here in the room as we strengthen one another, encourage one another, and, and make, make disciples in our own households, in our own homes, of our own kids and family, as well as to the neighborhoods and the nations. Do it all for the glory of your name and our joy and the joy of all peoples, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.